Let's remain standing as we are going to read John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. And here the Bible says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. May God bless the reading from his holy word. Please be seated. So this morning, we continue with week number two of our 40 days of abundance. So I hope that you bring your manual with you. And please turn your manuals now to page, we are in page 11. All right? So we should be in page 11 now. And the title of our message today is The Good Hurt. The Good Hurt. Is there a good hurt? <laughs> now, have you been hurt before? Have you been hurt so badly that you resented it? Have you experienced lately that you're hurt by a person? And some say that the most difficult kind of hurt are those hurt that comes from the people that you love. Agree? And sometimes what hurts us are not people but circumstances. Whatever it is, whether people or circumstances, we don't like to be hurt. Hurt is bad. But somebody said that sometimes a hurt is necessary and beneficial. You agree? Sometimes pain is necessary to gain. That's why they say no pain, no gain. Right? No cross, no crown. No guts, no glory. No ID, no entry. Okay? We were reminded uh, last Friday by our school orientation. But anyway, there are Christians today that are suffering from an invisible web, trapped in the circumstance of sin. And you know, we learned this from our previous sermons. The nature of sin, at first, it is so enticing, it attracts us, it draws us, it appeals to all our desires, but just like a spider's web, once you're caught with it, soon you're going to be cooked. <laughs> soon you'll be the food. All right? And some people today are living in misery and hurts because of the sins that entangled their lives. They feel like failure. They experience pain. And there seems to be no eternal significance of their lives. It's like they're not achieving anything of eternal values. They are fruitless as Christians. Brethren, if that is the life that you are living today, it's like you're not achieving some fruits in life, then probably you are the kind of branch that Jesus Christ was talking about the first kind of branch that he describes in John chapter 15. Now, if you remember, brethren, in our lesson last week, that in this metaphor that Jesus used, remember he's using the metaphor of a, of a vine, a vineyard, and then there's the vine, Jesus Christ himself, there are branches, and God the Father is the one who takes care of the vine, the vineyard, is the gardener. And Jesus mentioned that there are four kinds of branches. Now, the first branch bears no fruit. The second branch bears fruit. The third branch bears more fruit. But God's desire is that we always grow to the much fruit branch. All right? And so this morning, we are going to take up branch number one, the barren branch. All right? And the barren branch represents the Christian who bears no fruit for a period of time. Okay? For a period of time, 
seems like you are not bearing fruit. And for those of us who love plants, and this is something common, all right? It's like, you know, in my garden, I also planted fruit-bearing trees there. So I have ates, I have guava, I have, uh, what do you call this? The guiabano. I have also the, the, what do you call this? It's the, 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 the Filipino version of, of kanang, I forgot. It's not mangosteen, but kanabitong red. Rambutan. Okay, that's the, that's the, kalimut makoni rambutan. Okay? And it's been years. Okay? I think it's been three years and only my guava is bearing fruit. Okay? Three years, no, only, only leaves. So I keep on pruning them, cleansing, but no fruit yet. And, and, and as I study this, this passage, you know, it makes sense that just like the gardener, God the Father, He expects. So every time you visit your garden, you would expect fruit, but only leaves. <laughs> Alright? So, you have to be patient. Okay? And, and today, we are going to study the first branch that Jesus mentioned. Those branches in Him that bears no fruit. Alright? And what does the gardener do with these branches with no fruit? According to Jesus Christ, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, that's a terrible thing. <laughs> Alright? Can you imagine if you are that branch and for a long time, maybe you've been a Christian for what? Five years? Some of you have been Christians for ten years? And still today, no disciple. <laughs> Alright? No disciple. No Bible study. No, no nothing. Okay? And sooner or later, you will find that the gardener will come and cut you off. And you don't want that. Alright? Now, a lot of Christians are terrified with this. What does it mean? In fact, so many people ask me, Pastor, are we going to lose our salvation? Is God going to pluck me out from Him because I'm not bearing fruit, all right? And so this is terrible. A lot of Christians are doing like this. Oh, no. You know, I don't want to be cut off. Do you want to be cut off? Nobody wants to be cut off, right? And so it's important for us to understand the desire of the gardener. What is the desire of God? What is the, the, the plan of God for every Christian? Is the plan of God to take you off from Him, right? Now, good that there are two possible interpretations to that verse, right? So, first, I want us to deal with that phrase, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, here's the first interpretation, and there are so many theologians and Christians, even those theologians, you know, that I consider, okay, my, you know, my heroes, of, of faith. They represent fake Christians. Okay? Meaning to say, there are people who claim to be Christians, they attend churches, they sing Christian songs, they wear Christian shirts, they say Christian language, but they are fake, they are phony. They are not genuinely born again. And they are the same branches that Jesus mentioned in chapter 6. I mean, verse 6 of the same chapter. Notice what Jesus said in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, that's scary. Because literally, you know, this Sounds to me like hell. And, and this is true. And this is, this is consistent to how Jesus and the other gospel writers are using the phrase thrown into the fire and burn. Alright? In all cases, they all means judgment. Okay? Now, can Christians be 
burned in hell. <laughs> right? So, the first interpretation of that phrase, He cuts off every branch in me, is that these branches are fake Christians. Alright? And, and a good example of that is Judas himself. You know, Ju Judas was part of the twelve. Ju Judas was chosen by Jesus Christ. But that at the end, he was called by Jesus the son of perdition. The son that is bound for destruction. The son who is bound for hell. Alright? Is this an example of Judas? Now, even in John chapter 6, verse 6, can you imagine this? There's 666 there. From this time on, many of his disciples, take note, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So, indeed, there are people, you know, who started believing in Jesus, following Jesus, but then when the rubber meets the road, when life, the challenges of a Christian becomes hard. And when your desires and the desires of God clash, what happens to these Christians? They quit. Just like what happened here. When Jesus started to talk about, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me, then many of them says, I did not sign up for this. I, you know, I only signed up for a life that you know, God will bless me. God will answer my prayers. But denying myself, you know, not, not buying the things that I desire and so that I can give to missions, that's not me. Right? Beginning that day, the Bible says they turned their back, no longer followed Him. It's the same people that Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the first interpretation of that verse is that there are people who think they are Christian, but they are not. You know? Thinks they are Christian because they are in the church, they attend Bible study, they even sing in the choir. Some of them even are pastors. But on Judgment Day, you know, sad reality when books will be open and their names are not found there. Why? Because they are fake. Not really born again. It's so easy to become like that. You know, it's so easy to become a fake Christian. You just join a church so that you can remove all the guilt feelings. You attend Bible study. If your Christianity, listen, if your Christianity is simply out of guilt, in other words, you go to church because you don't want to go to hell. You're guilty of your sins. That's why you become a Christian. You are not born again. Because the real Christianity is not about guilt, but about grace. Amen? Guilt doesn't change. Grace does. Gracias, Agino. It is grace that saves us. Alright? Now, that first interpretation is terrible. All right. In other words, if no fruit, ibut. <laughs> no, no fruit, ibut. Putol. But of course, there is an, an interpretation number two. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, there is another way of understanding that verse, and the key to understanding that verse is to go back to the metaphor of Christ. Okay. Will a gardener immediately? cut off a branch that has no fruit. Alright? You have to be a vesticulturist. Okay, what is a vesticulturist? Have you heard of that word? What is that word? A vesticulturist is a person who studies and grows. They are professionals when it comes to grapes. Alright? They are the doctors of grapes. Alright? Vesticulture, that's the term, right? And you have to understand, you have to put yourself in their shoes to understand that you don't just take a branch that is fruitless and then cut it off. For them, those branches are very precious. So, interpretation number two means that these branches are not 
fake Christians. They, they are real Christians, but these are the Christians who are going through some fruitlessness because of immorality, immaturity, or maybe because they are still young in their faith. They are fruitless Christians. That's why we call them level one Christians. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's the other translation of the word. That's from the ESV. Okay, doesn't that sound what? Ah, relief. At least, paday siguro ko putlon sa ginoo. Okay? Because if you are a fruitless Christian, right now, you call yourself a Christian, but still not bearing fruit, perhaps you belong to this category. Because that word, airo, you know, the Greek word for cut off is airo. Okay? And it has four meanings in the Greek. Alright? It means to lift up or pick up. To lift up figuratively as in lifting up one's eyes or voices. To lift up with added thought of lifting up in order to carry away. And of course, to remove. Meaning to say, brethren, in, in, if you look at this word in the Bible, it is used a hundred times in the New Testament. And just to give you an example that not all times the word airo means cut off or remove. Let me give you an example in Mark 6, 43. Okay? When Jesus Christ was, you know, uh, producing food for 5,000 people, the miraculous, you know, distribution of food, what happened? The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of what? Leftovers. That's the word, airo. Okay? It doesn't say the disciples removed, but the disciples picked up. In John chapter 5, verse 8, when Jesus Christ was healing a man, He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Alright? Picked up. So the idea there is to pick up. Okay, Matthew 27, 32, they force him to carry the cross. This is what? Simon of Cyrene. Remember? They force, the soldiers force him to carry. That's the word, Iro, to carry the cross. Acts 4, 24, when the Christians were being persecuted, the, the Christians gathered and they prayed and it says, they lifted their voices together to God. They, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound right if you say they cut off their voices <laughs> or they remove their voices, but that's the same word, airo. Of course, in some other verses, according to context, it can be used as cut off or remove. All right? Now, before I will continue, somebody has to remove their car. J, is this G? Okay, G, A, G, H, T, three, two, five, seven. You are blocking a gate. Okay, G, is this G, H, or A? A. Next time, sa tarong ako ng swat long. G, H, T, three, two, five, seven. Okay, somebody is blocking a gate. Okay. So please, katong nagpark sa gawas, please, we don't want to burden our neighbors here. We don't want to be cut off. <laughs> okay? So kindly iro your car. Okay? Kindly lift it up somewhere because maybe our neighbor wants to go to church and probably you are stopping them from going out. Okay? So reminder also, when you park your cars outside, make sure you are not blocking a gate. We don't want to be a problem to our neighbors, right? Christians are good neighbors, amen? Okay, so smile lang, smile. Alright, let's go back to Iro. okay? So in other words, there is another way to, in, to interpret that word Iro. not just cut off, but lift up. And, and this interpretation, brethren, is actually is actually you know, in consonance with the, remember I told you, the visticulturist. Okay? When you ask them, what will you do to those branches that does not bear fruit? Now, the idea here is this. If you notice, 
all vines, all grape vines, they're always having this trellis and they're always hang up, right? You don't see grapes crawling, diba? So, every time a branch would go down and go to the, to the soil, you know, those branches will not bear fruit because of the dirt, the mud. That's why the gardener would come, okay? They will not cut it off because according to Visticultures, every branch of a grapevine are precious, okay? That is why somebody during our Bible study last Friday, one of our members told me, do you know, Pastor, he, this is an old man and he's, he's good with, with these things. He told me, in, in the vineyard, it is those that will prune who are paid more. Those who are in charge of taking care of branches, they are paid more. Why? Because you have to be a professional. You don't just cut discriminately. Right? Indiscriminately, rather. You have to make sure that these branches are worth, you know, worth lifting up. So what happened? Some of these branches fall into the ground, and these are the branches that are entangled with what? With dirt, with mud. And so what does the gardener do? Instead of cutting them, they do the airo. Lift them up to the trellis. That's why when you look at, you know, a, a vineyard, they're always, all those nice branches are hanging so that they are being aerated, good sunshine, and they will not be contaminated with dust and dirt. Friends, I think that is more logical to the metaphor of Jesus Christ. That the gardener doesn't immediately cut you off, but does something lifting you up. Why? Because again, the reason why some Christians are fruitless, why some Christians are not abounding, is because of one thing, sin. Sin prevents us from being productive spiritually. Sin entangles us so that we are not experiencing the blessing, the abundant Christian life that God wants us to be. And if a person is entangled with sin, if a child is entangled with sin, you don't cut off the child. You lift them up, right? And that's what the gardener does to us. When at some point in our spiritual life, we are not bearing fruit, God lifts us up, all right? And another thing, it's very clear from, from the verse, He cuts off every branch in me. All right? It's an important thing because that phrase in me in the New Testament always refers to someone who is in Christ and is a believer. All right? So this branch is, is not bearing fruit. It's not a fake Christian. Okay? There is that branch that we will be talking about. In other words, that comes in verse 6. In verse 6, there are fake branches. And these are the branches that are thrown into the fire. And that branch symbolizes Judas. But this one, this one is in me. Okay? In verse 6, it says, If you do not remain in me, then you will be thrown. But this branch, according to Jesus, this branch is in me. And for a time, this branch is not bearing fruit. And there are so many Christians today that are in that kind of level. See? You are living in sin. In other words, one, one foot is with the Lord, one foot is with the, with the world. And if we are trying to balance our life, you know, Sundays, I'm a Christian, weekdays, I'm a worldly person. If that's the kind of lifestyle you live, that you want to live the best of both worlds, okay, then you are not a fruitful Christian. See, you cannot bear fruit because you're entangled with the sin and with the dirt. And that is why the gardener has to do something to lift you up, okay, to lift you up. And lifting up a branch that is going down, it hurts because you enjoy the dirt there. You enjoy crawling to the ground, see? But sometimes... 
you have to be lifted. And friends, this is the first secret to abundance. All right, write this down. It's found in your notes. If your life is consistently, you know, you consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene. And here's the word to discipline you. All right? One way for the gardener to make sure that the branches, you know, would bear fruit is to lift them up. And lifting up a person, you know, in the, in the biblical sense is a form of discipline. All right? And that's what the good hurt means. Discipline. See? No, no discipline is not hurting. The, per, the point of disciplining a person is to hurt that person. And you always say, you know, this is painful, but this is necessary because you will learn something. See? This is the good hurt. God gives us a good hurt. It is necessary that once in a while, God needs to hurt us a bit because it's for our own good. All right? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Right? See? God is treating us as a father. See? We are His children. He is our Father. And a good father would discipline. Alright? So discipline is necessary. So, brethren, this morning, we are going to learn three reminders about God's discipline. Three reminders about God's discipline. And let's begin with the first one. The reason for God's discipline. Alright? And this answers the question, why? Why? Why, Lord? Why would you allow hurt and pain? See? Why would you allow, Lord, for me to be entangled with this pain right now? And God's answer, why? Because I care. <laughs> see? Sometimes we don't see the reality. Sometimes we just enjoy the sin, and once we are entangled with sin, we are trapped. Then the consequence of sin, okay, takes place. And you feel pain, and you feel that it hurts, but those hurts are necessary. All right, look at Psalm 39, verse 11. Okay, write that down. Psalm 39, verse 11. When you discipline us for our sins, okay, you consume like a moth what is precious to us. Isn't that true? One of those worst kinds of discipline is when God takes away Iru. He removes, He lifts up those things that are precious to us. For example, you are, you know, that's why we have to be very careful of something or someone that will will be in the middle between us and God. An idol. Because an idol has to be removed. That's why it has always been the command in the Old Testament, remove the idols among you. Why? Because the role of these idols, they stand in between you and God. Instead of focusing your time, your efforts, your resources to God, all those time and efforts are in your idol. And some of these idols could be a person. See? Some people are so in love with God and then suddenly comes a new relationship, no more time with God because you're spending that time with the person that you love. Diba? You have all the time to travel, you have all the time to eat out, but no time for God. Wait until God says, all right, I think your business is getting in the way. Maybe I should... Ex let you experience some business crisis. Then you would go back to church and say, Lord, help me. See? That's the example of discipline. And that is why sometimes it hurts that loved ones are taking out from our lives. Because probably these loved ones are becoming an idol. See? That's discipline. See? And, and when, when these things become precious to us, and God knows... 
And, and, and God knows that when He removes this from us, it's painful. But He says, well, I have to remove it because if I will not remove it, it will continue to make you fruitless in your walk with me. All right? Now, let's turn to Hebrews because our main text this morning is Hebrews chapter 12. All right? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a, as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as his son. See that? Now, I don't know with you, but I grew up being disciplined. You know, I grew up in a very strict family. You know, I've already experienced kneeling down. I've experienced, I don't know, nakaabot man ng uso ka ng isood kag sako. Yeah, nasood na kog sako. Even in the school, you know, during my PCGS times, Many times nako while nag-class, nagluhod, bisag galuhod, gatabi gyapon. So bisag unsan la ipabuhat sa amo ang among teacher? Pabarugon ko, paluhoron, kay tabian gyud. And know where that being tabian led me. Here. <laughs> but those disciplines were necessary. Did I enjoy them? Absolutely not. I I probably hated my teachers or probably hated my parents for a moment. But look where it got me, those disciplines. Amen? So that's why, what is the reason for discipline? Because God is treating us as His what? Children. And we are being treated as what? You know, children, and He is our Father. All right? And there are three things here. Just go quickly. Number one, God is the source of the discipline. All right? Satan will not discipline you. God disciplines us. See? And that's what the Bible is saying. That's why you are going through some hardships in your business, in your family, in your own personal life, because probably you've done something. And, and this is something that I've learned, all right, from, from other pastors, you know, that whenever a problem, a sickness befalls me or befalls my loved ones, it should be, okay, it should make us go back to our knees, no? it should like evaluate atong life. Lord, have I sinned? See? Now, I'm not saying that all sickness and problems are caused by sin. No, of course. There are other factors. Bad people can all also cause you troubles. But what I'm saying is this, if you are a true believer, if you are a true follower of Christ, the moment there are some sickness, discomfort, or anything that is unusual that will cause you pain, remember, God is telling you it should cause us to our knees and start to reflect, Lord, have I done something? Oh, you're not, I don't know with you, but that's me. Whenever one of my kids will be sick or there are problems at home, immediately the first thing to do is, Lord, if I've done something bad, please forgive me. Okay? Now, I'm not saying everything that is, you know, every sickness that comes to me are caused by sin, no? I don't want you to think that. Because one of these days, hubakon ko, nakasatos pastor. Nataigsoon din na sakit, nakasato. We, we don't want to, to be like that as well, alright? Okay? We don't judge people simply because nasakit siya, nakasaag ito ba? Okay? But what I'm saying is this, it's a personal thing, alright? God is the source of discipline. And so whenever you feel some hurts, you go immediately to God and settle it. Lord, is there something I've done? And then you go back, yes, naagyuday ko nahimo. And then you repent. Friends, listen. The discipline is only there, is only painful, you know, as long as you live in that sin. In other words, 
the hurt is gone the moment you are forgiven. Alright? Number two, He disciplines all believers as His sons. See? This is for everyone. That's what the Bible says. He chastens everyone. Take note, everyone He accepts as His sons. So in other words, no one is exempted from the discipline of God. We are all to be disciplined. He disciplines all believers. So you cannot say that, you know what, I'm a Christian but never been disciplined by God. You know the implication? If you've never been disciplined, you are not His child. sister. You don't do that. You don't discipline the kids. You know, some of your neighbors are kanang sabaan, di ba? Muat to bakas lang balay upaludhon ni mo? Di ba na, di ba na shocking, ha? You don't do that. In other words, you only discipline your own children. You don't discipline somebody else's child. The same thing with God. If you think, well, I've never been disciplined by God, you should be afraid. Maybe you're not a child of God. <laughs> See? Because that's what the Bible says. You know? If you're a child of God, then he disciplines you because He accepts you as His son. And here's the very important principle. He always acts out of love. Amen? He always acts out of love. What is the design of God in this sovereign act of discipline for us? It's always because of His love. Alright? Now, some of us, some of us may, may think no, that because of some traumatic experience for some, you know, uh, unjustifiable discipline. In other words, there are some parents who are brutal in their discipline. Some parents are, you know, already, kanabang, it's, it's already abuse. And it's happening. And simply because, because some parents are abusive, sometimes we think that God is like that. Oh, no. God is not like human parents that are imperfect. God will never discipline us out of abuse, out of wrath. No, it's always out of love. Amen? God doesn't discipline us, doesn't hurt us simply because He enjoys hurting us. No, God is not a sadistic God. A sadistic God, you know, is happy when they're the loved ones are hurting. No, God is not like that. In fact, God, the Bible tells us that God is not pleased at the death of the, the wicked. See? He is never pleased when His children are suffering. But friends, because He loves us and because He has the best interest for us, it's necessary that we experience the good hurt. Because those good hurt are just momentary. What it produces will be lasting. Amen? And I'm sure all of us who are good and godly parents would do that. If we dare spare the rod, what happens? We spoil the child. And that is why it's necessary that sometimes we need our children to feel the pain, the consequences of their sins. Alright? Now take note, discipline is for sin. God will never discipline you if you are not acting in that sin. Now it doesn't also mean that every time we sin, there's discipline. You see? It's like sometimes God acts like, like human parents. Diba? Kitang parents, usually unsa man ang atua. Mahanak pa man ang parents. Uno. Dos, diba? And sometimes when we, you know, some of us, maghuhat pata sa three, sa tres. Dos pa, ingon ni mama, okay pa. You know? I think we learned that also from God. You know, praise God that whenever we sin, diba? Kasuway mo nga, nakasala mo niya, pagkasaan niyo na, hagbungan dayon mo, o koan? O galublak? <laughs> Wala, no? Because sometimes God says, alright, I know you're human, you know? I know you're wayward. Okay, one point. Dos. Oh. But some of us are what? Hard-headed. You know, stubborn. See? It's like, we enjoy, you know, I committed that sin. 
Wa mako gabae. Wa ko nasakit. Uy, nakatug si Lord. I'll continue with the sin. But God is already saying, "Dos na, dos." <laughs> diba? Unya kay ang Pinoy na pamay-ay. Ayha pa sa stress. So maghuwat, diba? Some of us grow up, maghuwat pa ta sa ay. I don't know anong nay ay. Uno, dos, ay. Tres. I don't know which, where that counting came from. Pero I know growing up, maghuwat pa ta sa ay. Wak pa na insulting ay si mama. Okay? And God does that the same thing. See? That is why, not every time you and I sin, we immediately feel the pain. See? Because God is still giving us time to repent. But if you don't repent, if we perpetuate in the hardness of our hearts, that's the time number three will come. The trace. Okay? Why would the loving God want to bring us pain, even a small dose, according to Bruce Wilkinson? to get our attention and to gain a highly desirable result from our life. You see that? That's why. That's the reason why God disciplines. He loves us and He wants us to produce fruit. And He alone, He's, the, he's our what? He's the gardener. He's the professional. He takes care of the branches. And He knows that sometimes you and I need the pain, the hurt, in order for us to produce the good fruit. Now let's go to the second, the realities of God's discipline. What does the Bible say about God's discipline? The realities of God's discipline. Number one, God's discipline is proper. It's the right thing. And that's, that's what Hebrews tells us. Look at Verse 7. We are now in verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. Now that phrase literally means that that's the proper thing. It's the right thing for fathers, for parents to discipline their children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? You see that? So even the Bible gives us a practical illustration that a good father, a good parent will discipline. In other words, if you're a, a good father and you don't discipline a wayward child, then it makes you a bad parent. See, Even if children think that we are bad parents when we discipline them, but we know the general rule is that it is proper for fathers to discipline their children. And here's the implication, brethren. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters of all. See that? And so, that gives us relief. So, when, whenever sometimes we undergo, or we experience some good hurts, it means, Hi, salamat, Lord. Anak, padiyagyapong konimo. Because the alternative is terrible. If you will not be disciplined by God, then you are spoiled by the devil. <laughs> See? You are spoiled by the devil. And as Jesus said to the Jews, you belong to your father, the devil. See? Satan is a good spoiler. He spoils us. God the Father you know, disciplines us because it's the proper thing to do. Amen? It's the right thing to do. Number two, God's discipline is purposeful. See? He doesn't just discipline us out of His anger. Sometimes we parents discipline our children out of our what? Because we have a bad day at, you know, at the office, traffic, and when we go home, sometimes ang masipaan, ang iro, ang iring, and sometimes ang anak. Okay? And sometimes poor children are wondering, what did I do? See? But God is not like that. God would not just harm us and give us some hurt for no reason at all. Look at verse 10. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us, notice this, for our good. Amen? It's purposeful. See? That's why we call it the good hurt. Why? Because 
when God disciplines us, when God allows bad things to happen in our lives, those bad things are meant for our good. It's for our benefit. And, and, and the Bible even says, in order that we may share in what? In His holiness. You see that? Those who went through the disciplinary measures of God will become holy. Cleansing. See? To set us apart. It makes us a better person. And so, you know, I recall those times, you know, when I was made to luhod, to kneel down, you know, for a few minutes. And again, growing up, you hated your parents. For Now I realize, Lord, thank you for those moments. You know, can you imagine if I did not, if I did not go through those disciplinary measures, I don't think I'll be standing up here preaching these words. See? I needed those disciplinary measures. If you children are listening right now, thank God for parents who will discipline you. Those are necessary. Those are for our good. Same thing with what God did. Amen? Number three, God's discipline is painful. See? It's proper, it's purposeful, it's painful. Notice verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Now, the Greek word for that word painful is lupe. All right, now I don't know if it's connected with the name, you know, lupe. But probably it is because some Spanish words are coming also from the Greek words. And the word lupe means sorrowful, grief, okay? That's why it's translated painful. It brings sorrow. And that's the intention of God. You see, if the discipline is not sorrowful, then it will not give you the attention that God wants. See? If you are not hurt, then probably you will perpetuate in your sin. You will continue to live in your sin. But then, when you are sick, when you can't do anymore the things that you normally do, then you realize, God says, now you are in the position where you can listen. See? Because friends, sometimes if we don't listen, if we don't stop and listen to God, chances are we just continue with our own fleshly desires. And that's why we praise God, we thank God that sometimes He intervenes, gives us some problems gives us some sickness so that we realize maybe I'm now living my life on my own. I'm no longer connected to God. See? God wants us to experience pain. And I want you to go back to verse 6 because there's a word there that the Bible uses. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Notice this. He punishes everyone He accepts His Son. You don't like the word punish, right? That's why in some other translation, it's translated, he chastens. Chastisement. Now, whatever, whether, whatever word or Greek, whatever word or English word you put there, you know what? The Greek is very intense. Because the Greek word for that is mastigo. You know what is mastigo? Okay? Dili po na vertigo. Mastigo. Sounds like gilatigo ka. Because that's the word. Mastigo means to scourge. The flogging. That's the word used when Jesus Christ was scourged by the, you know, the soldiers. And, and, and those of us who went through the, the, the walkthrough, remember, there was the mastigo there. The mastigo is actually that whip, you know, with bones and metals so that when it, you know, it touches the back of Christ when it was pulled by the soldiers. Some of the flesh, some of the skin will rem were removed. See, that's the term. See, and that's the word. God loves us and sometimes it's necessary that God would mastigo us in order for us to learn. And friends, we always say sometimes we want to learn things the hard way where we could actually we could actually spare the mastigo 
if we've been more obedient to the Lord. Amen? But sometimes, maghulat mo man itong style, good. Kana bang maghulat pa sa uno, dos, ay, ay, pata inika, wak pa may ay. See? And that's why we experience pain. And brethren, you don't have to. Number four, God's discipline is productive. I love this. It's productive. See? It produces something. David Guzik said, look to the result of discipline more than the process of discipline. See? He's saying, the process of discipline may be painful, but God is saying, you know, look what will it produce in your life, in my life, you know, in our life, brethren. The result is more important than the process. All right? Later on, however, look at verse 11. Later on, however, it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. What a wonderful thing. Amen? See? The, the gardener. See? Why would the gardener lift up a branch that is entangled with dirt in the ground? Why would he iro it? Because he knew that when he does that, it will yield more fruit. Amen? It will make us more productive. And so when God gives us some good hurts, necessary hurts, it is for our productivity. Again, in the mind of God, our productivity is His interest. He wants you to abound. He wants me to abound in every good work. And for that reason, He allows hurts and pains and miseries to happen. All right? And, and notice the word there, for those who have been trained by it. That word train, you know that word in Greek? It's gymnao, where we get the word gym. Gymnastics. See? Trained by it. In other words, friends, discipline is what? It's a process. And sometimes, just like when you go to the gym, see? You have to exert effort. So sometimes, there's really effort. There's really, you know, hard things to be done in order for us to be disciplined. Now, I'd like to quote once again Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. God's actions are all intended and I like the word he used, to nudge you lovingly, wisely, persistently toward the life and character you desire, but notice this, but can't reach without help. Friends, you know, the, the branches that are going down to the ground, in as much as they want to go up, they could not do it. Somebody has to lift them up. Friends, we need God. We need God. Only God can lift us up. See? When we are living downward in our sinful life, it will mean fruitlessness. But God has to intervene. That is why we ought to pray once in a while, Lord, if I am living, if the direction of my life, Lord, is going down the ground, the dirt, please, Lord, give me the necessary hurt. It's an unusual prayer, right? But I think sometimes we need to ask God, Lord, if I am acting wayward, please give me that discipline that I need. All right? Now we come to the last part, the response. What ought to be the response of every Christian to discipline? Well, the Bible gives us some options there. You know, three possible responses. When Christians go through discipline and go through hurts and pain, we can either respond to God in this way. One, what is this? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. Job 5.17 says, But blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Okay? One way people respond to discipline is they despise it. You know? Despise it. You know, the Greek word there, you know, the Greek word is oligorio, 
means to treat it lightly. Okay? That's the NIV translation. You despise it. Okay? You treat it lightly. In other words, you don't care. You just ignore it. Okay? You despise the discipline of God. At some point, you even are what? You're even angry at God. So, kukan ni Lord. Lord, ganong gitagaan ko ni mo nga problem. Okay? Sometimes we are resentful to God. We despise God. Lord, you're a bad God. Why are you giving me this problem? Why are you giving me this sickness? Is that the right way to respond to God's discipline? Oh no. The Bible says, blessed is the one whom God corrects. See? Do not despise. Another way to respond to the discipline of God is that it makes people discouraged, you know? Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. You are disheartened. You lose your strength and then you fall out. Okay? Discourage. So, possible responses, you despise God or you're discouraged. But that should not be our response when God disciplines us. What should be our response, brother? Rather, in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us and, notice this, we respected them for it. We respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? So brethren, we should not despise God. We should not be discouraged. Rather, when we are disciplined by God, this is the right way to respond. Depend on God. Submit to Him. See? Don't reject it. Don't resent it. Respect God. Allow Him. See? Depend on Him. Trust Him more. Alright? Depend on God because that's the only way for us to respond to the disciplinary measures of God. And so in conclusion, brethren, now having learned that discipline is proper for us, it's purposeful, it's painful, but it is productive. We should all depend on God. Now let me end with Psalm chapter 6, okay? I don't think this is in your notes, but add this there. Psalm chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. So here David recognizes that he is weak and his bones are in agony. In other words, nagsakit yun ni siya, nasakit yun si David. Nganuman, nakasala siya. And so David recognizes, Lord, have mercy on me. And then he gives this, you know, Longing, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Alright? How long? Okay? That's the question. Lord, how long will I suffer this pain? How long will I suffer this hurt? And you know the answer to that question? It's all up to you. The longer you perpetuate in your sin, the longer you cling on to your sin, that's how long you will have the pain. It's all up to you, brethren. Once we understand God's motive in discipline, the moment we realize that we are being disciplined by God, our reaction should be, Lord, I repent of my sins. Forgive me. And you know what, brethren? We will only experience pain as long as we hang on to our sin. So the sooner you deal with your sin, the sooner you will get healed from the pain. It's all up to us. It's all up to me. And so brethren, what can I encourage you? If you are sinning, if you are living a fruitless life right now, perhaps you need to re-examine your life. Are there sins that you need to confess? Are there things that you need to change in your life? Maybe you're off course. Follow the hands of the gardener. Allow him to lift you up so that you can bear 
more fruit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your message, Lord, this morning for all of us. Thank you, Father, that it is only in your loving and caring hands that we can entrust our lives so that we can be fruitful, Lord. Thank you that it is your desire that we become productive in our Christian life. And that is why you allow pain and hurts and failures to take place to get our attention, Lord, so that we will yield to you. We will surrender to you. And only in yielding to your hands will we experience healing, forgiveness, and abundance. In Jesus' name, Amen.